Hi, everyone. My name is Natalie Gawkner, and this is Both Sides of the Aisle. I am so excited today to be with my friend Shireen Gorbani on the left. Hi, Shireen. Hello, and hey, listeners. So appreciate you tuning in. John, I have equal enthusiasm for my good friend on the right, John Dougal. Hi, Natalie Gawkner. Hi, Shireen. <laughs> Hi. All right, you two. Let's start with the Houthis today. Um, U.S. Uh. has escalated their attacks. Uh, sorry, the Houthis have escalated their attacks on the U.S., Getting, it's getting really personal when it starts to get into, you know, vessels that are carrying, you know, commodities that are important to our economy. I don't know. Shireen, yeah. it's, you know, you, you, you kind of think that you can get past these things, but, but these, um, these Yemen guys, they are, they're after us. Yeah, so um, the story that I think we're seeing just this week is that the Houthis claimed an attack on a British registered cargo ship. And so what we're seeing here, of course, and when we have these international waterways, they're really busy um, with ships from all over the world, people who have, you know, these large cargo ships moving through. And seeing this is certainly an escalation of violence in the region, which we do not want to see. But the implications can really be wide reaching. Um, John, what are you thinking about when you see this kind of news? Yeah. So the first thing I was surprised talking with someone today, they didn't, they hadn't ever heard of the Houthis. So these are uh, folks from Yemen backed by Iran attacking uh, folks in the the Red Sea and and stuff like that. And they sunk a uh, British uh, shipping, uh, a cargo Mm -hmm. ship and, and not just attacked it, but sunk it. And stuff, yeah. and so clearly, it's the the violence out there is escalating, the risks are escalating. Um, the U.S. is trying to figure out the appropriate, appropriate response yeah. for this. And one of the other dynamics that that folks may not understand, you ask yourself, how do we get into? We're protecting not just U.S. flagships, but we're pr- kind of protecting all ships. And it kind of goes all the way back to Thomas Jefferson and uh, Tripoli pirates and all that type of stuff. And so this is kind of a, a tradition and a legacy that we've been doing for, for a couple hundred years, protecting shipping lanes yeah. for U.S. ships and now expanding out to basically all ships. I think it's one yeah. thing when it's military to military, but when it's military to the, you know, to free enterprise, that's, that's when the U.S., that's not going to sit well. No. So, no. all right. Well, uh, you two, I also want to talk about uh, what's happened. Uh, the New York Supreme Court justice that's ordered Donald Trump to pay nearly $355 million in penalties for the way he uh, conducted himself in valuing his businesses, John. Uh, he's also barred, f- this is former President Trump, uh, barred from running businesses in New York for three years. Um, John, give us your take on this. I mean, Clearly, there's been a problem, but this is a pretty large penalty. Yeah. So the very first thing for folks to understand is in New York, when we say Supreme Court, that means trial court. That's not the top court like we think of in Utah or the federal level. New York Supreme Court is the first level, the trial court level. And so this is a trial court judge. And he said that um, Trump uh, fraudulently altered business records. And for a lot of folks, they're going to say, well, wait a second, the banks are sophisticated. They did their due diligence. They said no harm, no foul. We didn't lose any money. Everybody got paid. What's the big deal? And and clearly from from the New York uh, trial court perspective, as well as the New York prosecutor, um, they feel like any element, whether or not there was any kind of harm, uh, is a criminal activity and is punishable out there. Now, clearly $355 of disgorgement of, of, you know, ill-gotten gains, if you will, from the company, plus any interest associated with it, 
is the penalty. I don't think that will stand. But I think this is the type of thing for a lot of Americans. They're kind of scratching their head, not fully understanding why this just seems so outrageous in terms of the size of the penalty and does feed into the narrative that the justice system is skewed and is not going after uh, justice, but seems to be personally attacking somebody where there wasn't really any harm done. And so it's going to cause some people to question the integrity of the judicial system in this process. Yeah, Shireen, I can't wait to hear your response there. (laughs) Well, I think there are lots of reasons for people, especially black and brown people who've been over-policed in this country for the whole time, um, to agree with you on questions about our criminal justice system and who it really serves justice for. But on the other side, I really have to say, from a financial perspective, the notion that the Trumps and people who are in this echelon of wealth are able to get away with this kind of fraud over and over and over again is a critical problem as well in this country. People simply uh, devaluing or changing the value of properties to evade taxes is not new. Um, And it is something that there has been quite a bit of long investigative, long deep format investigative reporting on Trump's history of this kind of behavior. He's a grifter and he's been a grifter the whole time. So the fact that there are finally some consequences for people who manipulate systems in this way, I think is good. I have to say, though, John, there's a there is a part of me that agrees with you in the sense that this happens far more often than we ever see consequences for. And I do think it creates for those who, uh, you know, feel that Trump is sort of the ultimate victim um, in all of this, which is laughable to me, but I, I understand that people do feel like he's being targeted. There are quite a number of incredibly wealthy people who are able to bend these same rules to benefit them over and over and over again. And we simply do not have uh, a lot of governments that are well-funded enough or responsive enough to be able to do anything about it. Yeah. John, I've got a question for you. Do you think uh, Donald Trump broke the law in this example? Um, I haven't looked specifically at the law, this specific law. Um, it sounds like, yes, the the filings that he had when he said his apartment is 30,000 feet uh, versus 10,000. I mean, there's some factual uh, problems there. There's uh, errors mm-hmm. or inconsistencies or or fraudulent activity when it comes to that reporting. Yeah, that's that looks like the case. Now there's also when it comes to valuations of other things, there's a lot of gray area in there because what you may value a piece of property versus what I may value it is very different. And so when it comes to other real estate activities, there's gonna be a lot of uh, difference about what we think is the value on a specific property. But I haven't looked at the specific element of code. You've gotta have not just uh, an act that was volitional, you've also gotta have a certain element of intent typically. And so I'd have to look at the specific uh, piece of code to see whether I concur with what the judge said. Yeah. From the political middle, I mean, I would just say from everything I've read and looked at, it is clear to me that he illegally inflated the value of his assets and did it for a distinct reason to get more favorable loan terms. I also, though, will say that I was shocked at the um, how high the penalty was. That's you know, borders on excessive to me. And I would bet that in the final analysis, it'll get, it'll get, uh, you know, through the appeals, whatnot, it'll go down, but it'll still be substantial. Hey, let's go back. Let's stay with uh, former President Trump for just another minute. We've got a trial date, Shireen, for the uh, hush money trial uh, in New York. Uh, What, you know, tell us what you're thinking there. Well, the thing that I'll say is interesting about this, this if I and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe that this goes back to the Stormy Daniels case and the hush money that was paid in that. Am I correct? Mm, That's how I understand it. 
Yeah. Okay, that's what I want to make sure. Considering there's so much criminal activity with our former president, sometimes I just like to make sure we're talking about the same thing. The thing that I think is most interesting here is that this trial date has been set for March 25th. So when we're thinking about the calendar heading into Super Tuesday, heading into um, you know the additional primaries here throughout the the rest of the spring and into the early summer, the momentum around some of these court cases, I think, and getting on the calendar is a, is interesting to me. What about you, Natalie? Well, I like you know. These sorts of things, you say a trial date and you think it's one, two, three days. This will be six weeks. And we've got a former president that likes to be in the courtroom. So this could take him out of the campaigning mode. But, you know, yeah. it'll be interesting. John, we should give you a voice here. Well, either that or he'll be jumping back and forth between the courtroom and back on the campaign trail and everything else like that. But six weeks in the middle of this is going to feed the narrative, which is he's being unfairly targeted and folks are trying to derail his his campaign for president. And mm-hmm. so, so that's, yeah. that feeds the narrative he's been telling. And now a lot of yeah. people, Wall it. Street <laughs> Journal a few weeks ago, it, will Trump be indicted into the White House? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, can we just do one more? Let's do, let's go to Fulton County, John and Shereen, uh, the DA, Fannie Willis. Uh, it's so, it was so uh, almost, you know, I just couldn't believe my eyes seeing her taking the stand. You know, what a turn of events. But she uh, and uh, is it Nathan Wade, they've denied any wrongdoing or any financial benefit from their personal relationship. Uh, Shereen, this has been an unfortunate development from my perspective because this is an important case. Yeah, so this is the case. Um, so she's actually, she's not on trial in the sense that Trump is on trial, right? And the idea here is that you may remember the critical phone call when he called and asked for additional votes to be found in Georgia. And so the, you know, interference with the election is really what this was stemming from. But then Fannie Willis gets um, brought into uh, a, a bit of hot water because of her relationship, a romantic relationship with the top prosecutor, okay? So because of that, now they're talking about um, what the implications may be for uh, misconduct. And I, you know, I've been reading some think pieces about this, some takes, and I I actually kind of think that stepping aside might be the right thing to do in this case. Um, I think the case is very strong against Trump, and this distraction is not helping. What about you? Yeah, others? John. Yeah, John, you want to comment there? Yeah. So um, when it talks about the penalties, the question will, will she be disqualified or will her entire office be disqualified from pursuing this trial? Um, the dynamic here that that's concerning to folks is she hired uh, this person to work on her behalf that she had an affair with. So the allegation is that financially she was benefiting from that because the more she paid this individual, the more she benefited from travel and other things like that. The where most Americans are going to have some question is she said she reimbursed all the expenses, but she reimbursed it in cash and that cash was not recorded anywhere. It wasn't like he got thousands of dollars reimbursed from a trip overseas and put it in his bank account. So there's no record that she actually paid for it and there's no record that he was reimbursed. And I think a lot of people will be sitting there wondering how many people really walk around with thousands of dollars of cash reimbursed for travel in cash. And it really calls into question uh, her integrity in this thing and and the tale she's telling. And clearly, she was feisty in court. Uh, she's an elected official. She's coming up, uh, you know, with an election, I think, later this year. And so she wants to look strong there. And so she approached it very different than others. But it seriously calls into question her judgment. This has been a Trump segment, so I'm going to just ask you two one more question. We only got about 30 seconds in the segment. Who you, 
who are you two thinking right now for Trump's running mate? I mean, is it Scott? Is it Ron DeSantis? Is it Carrie Lake? Shereen, where are you? What do you think he's going to do here? Oh, geez. Well, that's a parade of, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can Shereen tell you, I think he's auditioning on hard. Ramaswamy? T- I'm not on the list. <laughs> I think it's Tim Scott. Tim Scott. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. How about you, John? I think it's between what Gwen Stefanik and Tim Scott. And Tim Scott was on the Sunday morning news shows and he was bending over backwards to do everything he could to position himself as that loyal VP candidate. Yeah, I don't think it's DeSantis, so I'll I'll go with you guys and Tim Scott. It's kind of looking like that. All right, in our next segment, we'll have lots of local news. Stay tuned. Natalie Gochner with Shereen Gorbani and John Dougal. Shereen Gorbani on the left. John Dougal on the right. Natalie Gochner in the political center. This is both sides of the aisle. I am so excited to you know, bury down into local news. And let's start, let's go up to the Capitol Hill. Major League Baseball has oh, been getting a lot of attention. I thought you'd want to go out to the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, take me out to the ballpark. But, uh, you know, Big League Utah, Utah's efforts to get a, a, a Major League Baseball team, it requires a lot of uh, investment, both private and public. And it's making a lot of news on Capitol Hill. John, you work up there. What are the, what are the, what are the whisperings in the halls of the Capitol about what's going to go on with, uh, with this public subsidy? Well, I'm going to say it doesn't require a public subsidy. But clearly, there's a request for a public subsidy. You know, mm-hmm. I'm one of those that that does not think public subsidies for for stadiums, ballparks, and other things like that is anywhere near uh, something that's appropriate for government to be engaged in. And I think it it benefits certain individuals at the expense of taxpayers. So, yeah, that's there we go, Shereen. Well, I'm I'm a lot with John on this, but I also can kind of zoom out and see the bigger picture in terms of, you know, a long-term financial benefit that can come to the city or the state. The um, amount of activity that is generated around sports teams makes sense to me. And if we think about the kind of way that that can refill tax coffers, I think the thing that's most disappointing to me is that we have almost, I think we're talking about a billion dollar um, subsidy, and we're also uh, hearing from, uh, you know, uh, executive appropriations. So that's when people are coming to the state to ask for support for different programs that we have about that much of a shortfall. And when we're talking about what's not being funded, um, we're talking about things like um, increasing security at domestic violence shelters. We're talking about additional investments in um, schools, in communities, in other social service programs. So to think about, you know, for me, if I'm going to choose between for example, making sure every kid in our schools gets free lunch or, um, you know, <laughs> breakfast or uh, funding baseball, I'm going to choose those kids every time. So I think for me to see, you know, this kind of economic request being prioritized over just kind of everyday needs I wish we did better on, it's disappointing. Natalie, how about you? <laughs> uh, let, me throw in one, let me throw in one thing real quick, Natalie, before you go. To, okay. to Shereen's point, I'll just flag that my understanding is they're requesting $900 million in a loan, which is a one-time expense versus what Shireen just described as uh, various ongoing expenses. Or you could call it investments in the future of Utahns, but yeah, you can call it expenses, John. But the, but I'm saying ongoing versus a one-time. Yeah. Okay. Well, you two, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to differ from both the right and the left in this. I, I think... Um, we should swing for the fences. This is a big deal. This is an opportunity to invest in the future of, of Utah. And the way I think of it is when you have a public-private partnership, you have to do it in a prudent way. And the way you do it prudent is you make sure it's investment, not a subsidy. 
And so that means taxpayers have to get a return, which they will, in my judgment. You also have to use public monies for public purposes. And so I think to the degree that there's public money that's going to uh, open space and utilities and culture and art and the fair park and even, uh, you know, shared parking, different things, I think that's perfectly appropriate. But the biggest thing that I'm, you know, big on for this is that this isn't about baseball. This is about um, developing it's about hockey, right? No, no, no. It's about an amenity. It's about an amenity-rich urban core that because of that amenity, we're able to both retain and attract talent to this state. And we're in the information economy, and it, people with talent can live anywhere they want, and they got to choose places with life quality. And if we invest in our urban center, if we invest in this area between the airport and downtown, we will shine and it will, it will lead to, you know, other effects that make this well worth the investment. I mean, I said a little bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. so Shireen, I mean, sorry, Natalie, let me ask you a question. I mean, when you look at studies about whether it's ballparks, stadiums, arenas, so forth, sports facilities, mm -hmm. how many actually make money for the taxpayers that subsidize them versus lose money? Yeah, well, the evidence is really clear that investing in stadiums does not pay off. That I don't, I don't quarrel with that. But we're not talking about a stadium. We're talking about a district. We're talking about neighborhoods. And most importantly, we're talking about uh, investing in, in a, an amenity, broadly speaking, that makes the core more attractive. So, John, think of it this and, way. And, and would that not happen already independent of any government subsidy? Is there not a demand this for more housing happen. here? Is there not a demand for baseball here? Is there not a demand that would naturally happen? No, it shifts the no. landscape. Yeah, it requires a public-private partnership. So let me say it another way. You could go put this somewhere else that isn't as expensive. You can go put it in some barren land, you know, in, in near Panguitch, right? Or sorry, near Payson. But the issue or, is... Or Panguitch. Yeah, but the issue is that if you don't invest in your core it can deteriorate. And if, 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 if Salt Lake City's urban core deteriorates, that's bad for the whole regional yep. economy. And I agree so, with that. Okay, and so you're, you're actually trying to invest in the core. You're redistributing to the core because the core is important. And so, I, you know, I, and, I think there's considerable evidence that investing in the core leads to better economic outcomes. And look no further than the Broadway Theater, City Creek Center, the uh, the Salt Palace Convention Center, the Convention Headquarters Hotel, Tracks Light Rail, you know, Front Runner Commuter Rail. Those things turned a city around. And Salt Lake City lost population from 1960 to 1970 to 1980 to 1990. It was on a path of decline. And these investments turned that around. And now we've got a city that we can be proud of. And guess what? It makes the whole state's economy stronger. And and I watch I watch cities and others chase different developments. I mean, okay, Gateway was developed, and all of a sudden it blighted downtown. So then City Creek was redeveloped, which essentially, from my perspective, blighted uh, Gateway. I mean, I it's kind of a ghost town out there Gateway. these days. <laughs> but but I watch these these things, and it's like it's like uh, centralized planners are trying to you know control different things, and it never turns out well from my perspective. Okay, John, we know you're not a city John, guy. do you not you think city, you don't think City Creek Center turned out well? Well, I think it had a serious impact on the gateway. And when yeah. the gateway was developed, it had a serious impact can on I, City Creek before that. 
And, and so the... we're chasing and chasing and chasing these type of things rather than letting the market deal with it. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that the reason that Gateway struggled wasn't just because of City Creek Center. It's because it had an out-of-state owner that didn't invest in change, didn't create experiences. City Creek Center intentionally didn't put movie theaters there to help Gateway. City Creek Center intentionally has it closed on Sunday because, you know, part of it is that it's it differentiates it from Gateway. City Creek Center made certain that it helped uh, promote uh, tracks light rail that serves Gateway in an amazing way and also put a lot of LDS employment at uh, the Triad Center that would help Gateway. But Gateway, instead of adjusting the times, just kept taking, taking, taking. And we ended up, you know, having a situation where it it's, it's hasn't done as well as it could have. And, I want to give my yeah. pitch. Can I give my pitch for Gateway? I like Gateway. And I like it when they do events that um, activate that um, area around the um, fountain. I, I, it's like, it's part of the Olympics, was it not? It's, it's, yeah. um, it's yeah. got a name yeah. anyway. So they have these great events. Um, St. Patrick's day is coming up. That usually ends down there. They have these kind of intermittent activations, but I have never understood why it is not. Well, I do understand why it has to do with our liquor laws, but I would love to see a much more vibrant, like sports oriented, um, bars like I always say a jazz bar and, I, and people think that I mean like jazz but I mean like the jazz like baseball I would love to see a real activation so that people could come there they could sure. watch the games they could be outside on that lawn and then they could march over to the to the delta center and watch or we could do the same thing it's right on tracks you could come and you could get you know people could be there they could be cheering on the the soccer team they could be activating all these different like points could be emanating out of the gateway but yes i agree it you, seems you like and your a... jazz bar why do you hate bluegrass <laughs> hey john one other Let's point do it. this is fun this is fun economics and we can do this on another program again but i do want to make a major distinction here that we're not talking about retail and retail right you've been talking about city creek center and gateway retail and retail a major league sports franchise, a national hockey league, there is no competition for those, right? That's a monopoly of an entertainment uh, event, right? And that's why it's so important that it be in the core because it's not going to, no one else is going to have that, right? But, and but, so if you want that soccer only stadium, choice. When we did the soccer stadium, the argument was it's going to be new, but then there was complaints it was taken away from other recreational activities, taken away from movie theaters. It would take away from uh, other activities. And so, scarcity yeah. mindset. Well, that's I'll a scarcity be, mindset. I, I just, I'm just I'll be really clear as an, I as, an RSL, as an RSL uh, season pass holder, and I've been a season pass holder since the very beginning, even when I lived in D.C. because I wanted to support the home team. They put the stadium in the wrong place, John. Should have been With in the, the core. Stadiums, yeah, should have been in the core because you want to redistribute money to the core. You don't want to redistribute money to the suburbs. The suburbs are fine. So, you don't think Sandy is the core? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the <laughs> urban core. I'm, I'm just sure. joking because Hale Center Theater <laughs> went to Sandy as well. So I just also yeah, want to yeah. give a shout out to well, Sandy because they just mistake. created a new flag. Hell Center Theater is great, and I think it's wonderful in Sandy. Don't yes. put the Broadway Theater there. That's yes. part of my the point. The Eccles. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, 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 the Eccles Theater. Hey, we should cover just a couple more bits of information. Uh, John, what do you think of the tax cuts being talked about up on Capitol Hill? Um, I wish they'd bring the spending down even more. So, yeah, yeah. So I think tax cuts are a good idea. I think putting more money in the uh, pockets of everyday Utahns is important. Shereen, you supporting, are they still, John, at about $160 million? Uh, That was the last I heard. And with the uh, revenue forecast coming in, I think they were feeling much more comfortable with that number. 
Okay, yeah. Yeah, so um, what this means is that it says uh, a proposed tax cut would mean um, that the legislature's approved $640 million in cuts of funding that could have gone towards uh, public education and social service spending. Um, again, I'm going to make a pitch for when we invest in our people, when we invest in our schools and our communities in important ways, we lead better lives. Yeah, the caution I'd say from the middle is that uh, be careful that you don't reward current consumption in place of future investment. So that's just a little bit of warning. One last thing, uh, John, can you just comment on the bill to hide uh, calendars from the public? Uh, what would you like me to say? I mean, clearly there's a bill about that. Uh, different folks are concerned about, you know, what kind of meetings and what's disclosed and what's not. And I know that some folks have said they only release the public calendar and not the uh, private calendar. And so clearly this is a thing I, I think largely the public expects to be able to see the calendars of elected officials. Yeah, Shereen. I agree. Again, I'm going to err towards transparency. I think it's better for us to know what they're up to. Yeah, very good. Well, it's been a great program, very active. Thanks to both uh, John and Shireen for sharing their points of view. Uh, our program is produced by Anthony Skoma. Thanks, everybody, for listening.